Hello, hello, hello. I'm Chris Lingle. We are here at Donkey Fish Studios in Austin, Texas, and you are now steering into the storm. Great show last week. Over 100 storm chasers have checked out episode two and over 250 have watched episode one. Actually, I checked today. It was closer to 270. Uh, last week, we talked about censorship. Dan Bongino is now banned from the tube. The book is messing with my posts, placing them at the bottom of news feeds, things like that. Uh, I was getting 70 likes on posts. I'm getting four now. Uh, I'm going to need your help in intensifying the storm. Um, you guys, we can, we can become a Cat 3. We're just a tropical depression right now with your help. I know we can become a Cat 3. Check out the podcast. Give it a rumble. Leave a comment. Most importantly, follow the channel on Rumble or Spotify and share it if you feel like you can. If you don't want to share it on your page, direct message if you folks you think uh, like might like being in the storm i'd really appreciate it and hopefully your friends will too evil prevails when good men and women do nothing so help me do something with my voice because i know for some of you it's your voice too and i thank you for that last episode we talked about rfk jr's new book um the real anthony fauci um uh, it was an eye-opener for me we're going to cover some more of that that expose a little later in the show actually probably not gonna have time for it because I love this new book so much, I decided to share a little bit more of this with you this week. So uh, this is uh, by Dr. Joseph Marcola and Ronnie Cummins. It's the truth about COVID-19. Uh, I'm going to share some of that with you soon. Before I do, I want to talk about an article on the central bank digital currencies. I told you we'd talk about them last time on the show uh, because you need to know about these things. Most developed nations have a plan to implement this technology within the next two to four years. So it is on the horizon. Um, uh, trust me when I tell you, this is not your basic cryptocurrency from an article from the prophecy news watch entitled fed coin for many government officials who want to maintain control of the, of the financial system, central bank digital currencies are the mainstream answer to Bitcoin. For those of you who have never heard of them, central bank digital currencies are exactly what they sound like. Digitized versions of the euro, the pound, the dollar, the dinar, any currency issued by central banks. Like Bitcoin, other crypto, uh, CBDC would be entirely digital, thus for, for uh, furthering the ongoing war on cash. However unlike crypto, would not have an encryption preserving anonymity. In fact, it would be totally the reverse, potentially ending the very idea of financial privacy. The countries where the idea of digital currency has progressed the furthest, eh, China, imagine that, and the UK. Uh, the UK is not near uh, as far advanced as China is. The digital yuan has been in development since 2014 and right now is subject to ongoing and widespread testing. The UK is nowhere near that stage yet, but they are keenly pushing forward a digital pound that the press are calling Britcoin. Uh, most people wouldn't like the idea of governments monitoring all spending in real time, but that's not even the worst of it. By far, the most dangerous idea is that any future digital currency should be programmable, meaning the people issuing the money would have the power to control how it is spent. That's not an interpretation. It's not a conspiracy theory. Here's a quote from Augustin Carstens, head of the Bank for International Settlements, speaking earlier this year. The key difference with CBDC is that the central bank would have absolute control on the rules and regulations that will determine the use of that expression of the central bank liability and then have the technology to enforce that. Now, that tells you not only they want and are seeking this power, but 
how they intend to justify it to themselves. They make your money an expression of their liability. And so they consider, well, it's only right that they control that. It's a liability for them. An article in the Telegraph back in June was just as candid. Digital cash should be programmed or could be, I'm sorry, could be programmed to ensure it is only spent on essentials or goods which an employee or, or government deemed to be sensible. The article goes on to quote Tom Mutton, a director at BOE. You could introduce programmability. There could be some socially beneficial outcomes from that, preventing activity which is seen to be socially harmful in some way. Are you listening? Governments and employers making sure the money they issue can only be issued on sensible things and not to be used in socially harmful ways. Well, who decides what's harmful? The government, your employer, your Uncle Ted? It doesn't take much imagination to see just just how this system could evolve and reshape society into a truly dystopian nightmare. This according to the article. In China, the process is already beginning with a trademark lack of subtlety. As they progress toward the release of their digital currency, they're banning all cryptocurrencies to remove competition, and it's already known the digital yuan will be programmable. The West's approach will probably be less direct, but no less controlling for that. Bitcoin will likely be programmed in only special circumstances, starting, as the Telegraph says, with state benefits. They will be flagged to be spent only on essentials. Of course, if universal basic income is put into place, won't we all be on state benefits? It's also not hard to see programmable money feeding into the protect the NHS narrative where people aren't allowed to spend state money on sugar, cigarettes, or alcohol. Or people on organ waiting lists or diagnosed with certain conditions have their wages and spending controlled. By and large, however, it's the nature of British tyranny to be unofficial, so the UK government will make a big show of renouncing their own power to program the money, thereby positively contrasting themselves with China, but at the time will take no steps to prevent large companies programming the wages they issue. So, obviously, this is an article from from the Brits. So while the state controls the digital yuan in China, the digital pound will be subject to corporate control and used to enforce the unspoken state corporate partnership that defines true fascism. It'll likely start in small, predictable ways designed to limit competition. McDonald's, for example, will make it impossible to spend money. I mean, we'll spend their wages at Burger King and vice versa. Coke and Pepsi, eh, Starbucks, Costa, you get the idea. We've witnessed the rise of cancel culture, the cultivated age of identity politics and virtue signaling. Well, imagine how programmable currency fits into that. Companies could commit to combating hate and stop their employees from donating money to blacklisted or political parties, religious groups, charities, or individuals. In the age of COVID, we've seen how actors, authors, singers step out of line. They're subject to poisonous witch hunts. But imagine a world where companies could renounce those who spread misinformation by making it impossible to spend wages they issue on art, film, books, or other things by outspoken critics and, or, uh, on the government. Maybe companies will make it so that employees who aren't vaccinated have more limitations placed on their wages than vaccinated ones. Maybe an unvaxxed paycheck can't be spent at cinema, nightclubs, concerts, football games to stop the spread of the virus. John Cunliffe, direct, uh, Deputy Director of the Bank of England, told The Telegraph, you could think of smart contracts in which the money would be programmed to be released only if something happened. So maybe employers will remove choice altogether, make a negative test, 
or a negative, or I'm sorry, or a vaccine booster, a prerequisite for unlocking your wages. That could be applied to all kinds of behaviors moving forward. The World Economic Forum has a clear vision of the future where people own nothing and are happy. People own nothing and are happy. Combine that with a prolonged war on home ownership. You can see employers and governments issuing money, which can be spent on rent, but not on a mortgage. Now imagine the nascent Green New Deal. Hard limits on how much money you can spend on petrol, plastic, or meat. Only X dollars on flights per year. Only Y pounds on beef. All for the good of the planet. Money will turn from an expression of independence into nothing but a voucher system operated completely at the whim of corporate monoliths. All this would have sounded like rampant paranoia a couple years ago, but now, hmm, not so far-fetched. A programmable digital currency would have coded into it the ability to control our entire society, and it looks like that's where the new normal is heading next. Combine this new digital currency with digital ID requirements coming soon and requirements for digital health passports, and you have a frightening possibility of absolute control. We're going to get into central bank digital currencies later in the show as we talk about the truth about COVID-19 by Merkela and Cummins. It's available on Amazon. You're welcome for the plug, guys. I'm going to jump ahead a little to chapter four in the book. I think you'll find these statistics interesting. I do because I've said some of these things all along. Trust me, with great debate in my household. So I was a little bit happy to come across some of these numbers. COVID-19 appears to be a highly contagious, dangerous, lab-manufactured trigger for pre-existing conditions of an aging and increasingly chronically ill population. The virus itself isn't the primary cause of most hospitalizations or fatalities. People are dying with COVID-19, not from COVID-19. To understand this completely, we have to understand how these statistics are compiled. We have to separate real statistics from official statistics. High caseloads don't translate into people getting sick and dying. Positive test results have been conflated by the media with the actual disease, deliberately misleading the public into believing the infection is far more serious and widespread than it actually is. COVID-19 is not confirmed by a positive test. It is confirmed through diagnosis of infection with SARS-CoV-2 and a severe debilitating respiratory illness. Using a test that falsely labels healthy individuals as sick drives the narrative that we are in a lethal pandemic. PCR tests are at the height of this pandemic, or at the heart of it, I'm sorry. If it weren't for that flawed piece of garbage, there'd be no pandemic to speak of. Let me tell you why I say things like this, because I found these stats in this book, and it's wonderful, and this is why they make these statements. August 2020, CDC releases data that only 6% of COVID-19-related deaths in the U.S. had COVID-19 listed as the sole cause of death on the death certificate. 6% of 492,000, that's the number of deaths reported in January of 21, is 29,776, so 30,000 deaths of otherwise healthy individuals attributed solely to COVID-19. In August of 2020, again, Johns Hopkins reported that 170,000 of the 5.5 million Americans who tested positive had died, touting it as the third leading cause of death in the United States. Of course, in November of 2020, Johns Hopkins published an article alleging accounting errors on a national level regarding SARS-CoV-19 deaths in the elderly. 
Um, surprisingly, the deaths of older people stayed about the same before and after COVID, as did the death rate among all age groups. Certainly, we would have expected an increase in 2020 in the deaths in the elderly, but uh, the CDC data do not bear that out. Of course, after a link to the article was posted on Twitter, it was scrubbed. Eh, thank goodness it's still available in the archives at Johns Hopkins. The CDC has artificially inflated the death count from this virus from the get-go. In the fall of 2020, the CDC said that even if COVID was not listed as the proximate cause of death, as long as it was listed as contributor, the death would be coded as caused by COVID. So if you are in a motorcycle accident and test positive, you died from COVID. All of this to hide the fact that unless you are over 60, you have a significantly lower chance of dying from COVID than you do from the flu. Don't believe me? Let's look at a little bit more data. September 2020, from the Annals of Internal Medicine, the overall non-institutionalized infection fatality rate was 0.26. If you're younger than 40, it was 0.01%. If you're over 60, it was 1.7%. August 2020, at a Doctors for Disaster Preparedness Convention, Dr. Lee Merritt put the death rate on COVID-19 based on death per capita rates, the only real true measure of lethality, at 0.009%, that number being based on 700,000 deaths and 7.8 billion souls on the planet. By comparison, the estimated fatality rate for seasonal influenza is 0.08%. The only people for whom COVID-2 is more dangerous than the flu are people over the age of 60. Deborah Burke stated, it becomes more difficult to get people to comply with mask rules when people start to realize that 99% of us are going to be just fine. Well, she was a figurehead throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. I don't think we saw much of her on the dais after she said that. Last show, I talked about John Rockefeller and his push to guide us away from holistic medicine and into the dawn of petrochemical biopharmaceutical age and how he founded the American Cancer Society. I bring him up because we're going to get into technocracy later in the show. And he was one of the original technocrats. The technology of his day was the petroleum industry. The technology of today is communications and social media. Keep that in mind as we move through the storm today. Excuse me. We talked about censorship, too. Now I just got to tell you, I was laughing about my first episode being taken down from the tube. Uh, The hair on the back of my neck stood up when they banned Dan Bongino, though. And pretty much I'm downright petrified and pissed off at the same time over what they're doing to Joe Rogan. And you should be, too. Um, uh, CNN, The View, along with a host of left-wing celebrities are calling for Spotify to pull his podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, from the airwaves or censor him into oblivion. He's been referred to as the media's new Trump. They miss having someone to berate every day, so Joe Rogan appears to be their new punching bag. Of course, not all are on board with this McCarthyism. Breitbart's Brandon Darby said, I like listening to Joe Rogan. I don't agree with every opinion I hear on his show, but I appreciate being able to access opinions that challenge the dominant narratives. You censorship advocates scare the hell out of me, and you can fuck right off, too. I love this guy. What a breath of fresh air, Sir Darby. Look, how much of this censorship are we going to tolerate? Liberal progressives and their jackbooted thugs on The View, CNN, MSNBC, and these other media influencers want to silence anyone who doesn't agree with their plan to usher in the Great Reset? Uh, 
They just want to shut them right up. That's not freedom of speech. That's not freedom of the press. That's not in the U.S. Constitution. And it certainly isn't American. We'll talk about it later in the show. Um, you're going to hear about how doctors were censored now and blackballed for daring to question the vaccine solution, vaccine solution, including one of the authors of this book, uh, Dr. Joseph Mercola. As the truth about COVID-19 contends, the pandemic and the response represents the most serious crisis on the planet since World War II. Big Pharma, Big Tech, the WHO, along with, of course, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, have accomplished exactly what we talked about last show agency or regulatory capture through donations to agencies. How crazy is that? We talked about the FDA and how 45% of their budget is funded by the pharmaceutical industry. They're supposed to police the regulators become nothing more than a rubber stamp for the industries that they regulate. The result is fear mongering and massive public psyops and social engineering all for the sake of our so-called protection. Military contractors and bioweapons specialists hiding behind the euphemism of gain-of-function research to produce vaccines are weaponizing viruses while big tech silences their critics through blackballing, blacklisting, or just scrubbing the internet through fact-checking. The gain-of-function experiments that weaponized COVID-2 were funded and implemented by a partnership among the Chinese and American, among other governments, military, big pharma, after decades of mismanagement of previous programs like these. Accidental releases, theft of pathogens, and the list goes on and on and on. COVID hit Wuhan, China in October to November of 2019, and it has spread across the globe with lightning speed and efficiency. It's trashed everyone's economy, well, not quite everyone's, locked up everyone in their homes, and crippled countries with supply chain disruptions. Now, let's talk about this thing that turned the world upside down. The CDC reported in January 21 that just over 400,000 Americans had died either from COVID or with COVID. But a CDC release in late August 2020 showed that 6% of COVID-19 deaths in the U.S. had COVID-19 listed as the sole cause of death. The remaining 94% had, on average, 2.6 comorbidities. 80% were over 65, and almost half of the deaths occurred in nursing homes. The economic damage is estimated at about $16 trillion. Sounds kind of low to me. We printed $10 trillion over here just to cover this farce. We talked about this on the show last week, too. Who made money off of this? Who benefited the most in the largest upward transfer of wealth in history? While 40% of Americans can't afford an emergency $400 bill, who got fat? 500 new billionaires just during the pandemic. Bezos made $88 billion in additional wealth just during the pandemic, and the rest of big tech was right there with him. According to a study by the Institute for Policy Studies, the combined wealth of U.S. billionaires surpassed $1 trillion in gains during the height of the pandemic. $1 trillion in gains just during the pandemic. The largest upward transfer of wealth in world history, while an entire generation of children and students have their educations and their lives turned upside down, you got locked in your home, told to wear a mask and get a shot and another shot and another shot and another shot. We are submitting to a digital dictatorship, technocrats, 
Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Oracle, Big Pharma, the World Economic Forum, Wall Street, and the biodefense industry, all assisted by their captive regulators and agencies, are capitalizing on this pandemic with a massive wealth and power grab, while they are imposing for our protection draconian levels of surveillance, censorship, and control. They will come after free speech first. Hug a fact checker today. Your gun second or simultaneously, and after that, they'll come for your property. I guarantee it. And whatever little bit of freedom you have left, our every word will be scrutinized and censored. Our every transaction is trackable and traceable and mineable in an unprecedented collaboration between government and big tech. Sorry about that, folks. We had a little glitch in the studio, but we are back in the storm. Um, I like this book uh, because it asks the same questions. I've been asking since about April of 2020, how are these titans of the internet and the government power brokers going to get us all to go along? Well, as you've seen since about April of 2020, they're going to do it by fear. They're going to take advantage of fear. They're going to provide solutions no matter how outrageous they are. Mass psychosis formation. We talked about it on the last episode. Um, Dr. Peter McCullough bought it up, talked about it extensively on the Rogan podcast. Um, do pandemic response measures serve to protect the world's population or do they merely serve to increase fear and facilitate compliance with tyrannical liberty eroding mandates? That's the question that you need to ask yourself. Thank goodness some people are starting to ask that question. They're starting to wake up to the fact that most restrictions put into place during a crisis are permanent restrictions. They're a small piece of the plan they're using to usher in a new way of life, which is radically different than the one we all enjoy now. You will have to choose between liberty or security. And let me tell you, I told you last week, I'm going to tell you again, tis a fool who chooses security over liberty because the fool will wind up with neither. Let's go back to Wuhan, China. You know where the virus originally came from. You know people eating bats in a seafood market, not the level four biocontainment lab that was seven miles away. Let's go back to that place. Story put out and maintained by the Chinese government and spread by Tony Fauci, Bill Gates, the CDC, the National Institutes of Health and the lamestream media, along with all the social networks and fact checkers to be received as gospel by the public was this. SARS-CoV-2 virus, the bug that causes COVID-19, emerged naturally from nature and then miraculously and inexplicably jumped the species barrier from bats into humans, precipitating the most serious and deadly epidemic since the Spanish flu of 1917. That virus infected a, thorough, a third of the world's population and killed 50 million people. People. By contrast, 5.6 million people from COVID deaths, and we'll talk about the way they count those a little bit later on in the show, with a population of 7.8 billion people. According to these experts who get their money from the research, their money for research from the same people as those captive regulatory agencies do, well, a relatively innocuous and non-contagious virus up until now jumped the species barrier and quickly mutated into a deadly killer, leaving behind no biological or epidemiological traces whatsoever of this miraculous evolution. And in another miraculous billion-to-one coincidence, this super-mutant virus and epidemic emerged in the exact same densely populated urban neighborhood hundreds of miles from the nearest bat cave in Wuhan, China, where a series of controversial 
genetic engineering experiments involving the weaponization or gain-of-function studies of bat viruses to make them cross over into humans were being conducted in accident-prone labs. Of course, it naturally occurred. If you believe that, I got some dry land to sell you in the Everglades. Oh, well, they're not only studying, they're not manipulating these dangerous pathogens. Accidents could never happen. Well, critics of genetic engineering and bioweapons development have been sounding the alarm for decades. They've warned that experiments like these gain-of-function weaponization studies that manipulate viruses and other pathogens are inherently and extremely dangerous. Oh, and by the way, they violate international law. Proponents of the Chinese story, America's military, Fauci, the pharma industry. Of course, they've also provided major funding for the Wuhan lab, as well as labs at the University of North Carolina, USAMRID, and hundreds of other labs worldwide. And then there's the WHO, the agency that was allegedly regulating the Wuhan lab. Of course, the WHO gets a huge amount of funding from the U.S. government, Bill Gates, Big Pharma, along with drug and vaccine manufacturers. All of that said... This book points out that there's a growing number of folks who are starting to see the light and question the theory of a natural light speed progression of this bat virus. Most now contend that the virus was most probably accidentally released from the lab at the Wuhan Institute of Technology. Sam Husseini, investigative reporter and bioweapons expert, he writes this about gain-of-function studies at Wuhan and Fort Detrick in deliberate violation of international law. Governments that participate in such biological weapon research generally distinguish between biowarfare and biodefense, as if to paint such defense programs as necessary. But this is rhetorical sleight of hand, as the two concepts are largely indistinguishable. Biodefense implies tacit biowarfare breeding more dangerous pathogens for the alleged purpose of finding a way to fight them, while while this work appears to have succeeded in creating deadly and infectious agents, including deadlier flu strains, such defense research is and has been impotent in its ability to defend us from the pandemic. So we're told that because this virus is so infectious and dangerous that there are no drugs or treatment protocols, no supplements, no herbs, no vitamins, no dietary or natural health practices that can help us. We have no choice whether we're young and healthy or old and frail, but to wear masks, socially distance, wash our hands raw, shut down schools and social gatherings, churches, businesses, entire economies. Stay home, obey authority, and wait for Big Pharma or the Chinese to deliver a cure. That magic novel vaccine that was rushed to market without testing and was genetically engineered and designed for one thing and one thing only, and that is to maximize profits. Marcola and Cummins go so far as to accuse the technocracy machine of medical malpractice on a global scale, and here's why. They've never been able to develop a vaccine for this. Even after decades of research and billions of dollars in funding, a genetically engineered vaccine designed to modify, perhaps permanently, human RNA has never been allowed on the market because previously they seem to create a dangerous phenomenon called antibody-dependent enhancement, especially in the elderly, making them more susceptible to the disease. As I understand this process, ADE causes greater sensitivity to the disease if a person vaccinated encounters the virus again. What a paradox. Also, isn't it medical malpractice to withhold treatment? We all had to contend with the machine, the media, big pharma, big tech, 
government, the WHO, censoring any information about successful treatments carried out by doctors around the world using quercetin, zinc, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, vitamin D, and something as simple as nebulizing hydrogen peroxide and betadine into the sinuses, throat, and lungs. We talked about that on the last episode as well. The technocrats led by Bill Gates and captured agencies all want mandatory vaccines. They want injectable biomedical surveillance chips. They want mandatory tracking. They want vaccines passports. They want them implanted in the future along with the rest of your health data and anything else they can think of. Yes, it is that deep and it is on that scale what they want to do. Of course, the research hasn't stopped either. Something for you to ponder, I think. Somewhere at this very moment, someone is attempting to combine SARS-CoV-2 with anthrax or aerosolizing the avian flu in some poorly managed accident-prone lab right next to a major metropolitan city. And the internet giants are marginalizing or totally censoring any information counter to the narrative on the origin, nature, prevention, and treatment of COVID-19. The machine behind this nefarious network that is genetically engineering viruses and microorganisms to make them more effective, virulent, and dangerous while hiding behind gain of function to get around international law, they're going to tell you this isn't bioweapons research. This is biosafety research. It's to develop vaccines and new drugs. Well, after 30 years, no effective vaccines, no significant drug discoveries, just lab accidents, releases, and theft of pathogens. That's just to name a few. These guys can use targeted RNA recombination and gene splicers can manipulate viruses like SARS-CoV-2 for gain of function to infect humans, interfere with immune response, and be passed rapidly through droplets in the air. Hundreds of scientists and investigators, thank goodness, are finally starting to expose the errors and lies of the narrative by analyzing a growing body of evidence and risking their careers by publishing their findings despite widespread censorship and blackballing. The machine has been trying to cover up the lab origin theory since the beginning. They clung to the wet market story since the get-go. Never mind that China delayed release of the news about the new respiratory virus that moves rapidly from person to person for a month or more. I mean the virus emerged in October, November of 2019. China and the WHO didn't release any information on it until February of 2020, February 19th, I believe. China, meanwhile, well, they shut down flights within the it, uh, the shutdown flights within the country, but not international flights out of the country. They censored dissent. They disappeared anyone who attempted to suggest that the release was a leak from the lab and not from the wet market. The American media, they went right along with it. We mentioned accidents, thefts, and shoddy performance earlier. Well, in 2004, a breach at the Chinese CDC lab is believed to have caused four SARS cases, including one death in Beijing. Sixty-five lab workers at the Lanzhou Veterinary Research Institute were infected with brucellosis in December of 2019. This one is great. You're going to love it. Six vials of smallpox were accidentally found in a storeroom in the U.S. FDA lab at the National Institutes of Health. That was the second time in a month during 2014 that lab was found to have mishandled dangerous materials. And let me tell you, if you found six vials of smallpox in a storeroom that was unsecured and they were supposed to be in a secured area, well, they were probably put in the storeroom by someone who was going to steal them and they just 
hadn't gotten them spirited out of the building before somebody else found them. Shortly before this, the CDC realized that they had, in fact, accidentally sent live anthrax between labs, exposing at least 84 workers. In 2015, the Pentagon figured out that a Dugway Proving Ground lab had been sending incompletely inactivated anthrax, so live anthrax, to 200 other laboratories around the world for the last 12 years. Hmm. Anywho, in 2017, Tim Trevin, a Maryland biosafety consultant, expressed concern about viral threats potentially escaping the Wuhan lab. U.S. diplomatic cables shortly after a visit in 2018, uh, they warned about safety breaches at the lab in Wuhan as well. The global biological arms race has blown up in all of our faces. Fauci, the National Institutes of Health, and the WHO were funding the lab in Wuhan that created the bug that caused it to blow up in our faces. Well, the Chinese military took over the lab in January of 2020, so I am sure there'll be information flowing out of there like water over Niagara Falls anytime real soon now. In February of 2020, The Lancet, remember we talked last episode about The Lancet kind of blatantly publishing a blatantly false uh, article about uh, how hydroxychloroquine was causing harm when it was, it was found to be not true. So The Lancet has as much credibility as well something that doesn't have a lot of credibility. Um, The Lancet published a scientific statement signed by 27 researchers denouncing that COVID-19 came from a lab. They said a lot of folks analyzed genomes and overwhelmingly concluded it originated in wildlife. Facebook fact checkers the world over relied on this statement to scrub any other theories off of social media and the internet. Well, 2021 rolls around. People want the truth. Finally, a guy named Peter Daszak of the EcoHealth Foundation was assigned to two commissions tasked with getting to the bottom of how the virus came to be released. Finally, we may get some answers. Well, with the fact that the EcoHealth Alliance funneled National Institute of Health grant money over to the Wuhan Institute of Virology for coronavirus research, I've just breathed a sigh of relief that we'll get to the bottom of everything toot sweet. Here's where the natural evolution theory, um, natural evolution release uh, in the seafood market, here's where it starts to get a little shaky. Uh, No animals at the wet market tested positive for COVID. One third of the initial group of human cases had no connection to the market whatsoever, including the first reported case. Circle back around to the first reported case in a couple seconds. Um, Numerous people from the market robustly denied that there were bats for sale or consumed in the market or that bats were even a food source in the city. The nearest bat caves to the market were over 600 miles away. Those bats were in hibernation at the time of the COVID release. Patient zero, as reported by a Beijing newspaper in January 2020, was a scientist that worked at, you guessed it, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. That report has since been scrubbed from the internet. Uh, The Wuhan lab is, again, seven miles from the market. The Chinese CDC is 300 yards away from the market, um, and, and it's a city of 10 million people. Smart work doing that kind of work, close to 10 million people. 
Gain-of-function studies were weaponizing viruses and microorganisms as such in programs funded and implemented by the Chinese and U.S. government's militaries. Tony Fauci's NIAID, the EcoHealth Alliance, the Pentagon National Security Agencies. Bobby Kennedy Jr. writes in an Instagram, I'll paraphrase it, Fauci and the NAIAD gave $3.7 million to Wuhan. Remember when Fauci said he didn't give any money to fund gain-of-function research studies? Uh, he, I, he said it in front of Congress, too. Um, uh, the grant funded experiments on bats following the 2002-2003 SARS-CoV-1 outbreak. I remember that. I'm sure you do too. NIH funded a machine to prevent future Corona outbreaks by studying the evolution of virulent strains from bats in human tissues. Gain of function used accelerated evolution to create COVID pandemic superbugs, enhanced bat-borne COVID mutants with more lethal and transmissible than wild COVID. In December 2017, scientists alarmed by Fauci's work complained in a Times article that these researchers risked creating a monster germ that could escape the lab and seed a pandemic. Hmm. Kind of laughable now. Laughable, but scary. Uh, Dr. Mark Lipsitch of the Harvard School of Public Health told the Times that Fauci's experiments have given us some modest scientific knowledge, uh, but they've done almost nothing to, to improve our preparedness for any pandemic, and yet they risked creating an accidental pandemic. Well, no shit, Dick Tracy. Obama ordered a halt to federal funding in 2014. Shouldn't Congress launch an investigation into Fauci's moving things to China to avoid scrutiny? So, where did SARS-CoV-2 come from? I'm no virology expert, but Dr. Mercola asks, where did it pick up its unique biological ability that the original COVID virus, SARS-CoV-1, was lacking? Where did the SARS-CoV-1 virus pick up the unique four-amino acid segment just perfectly placed in its genome that enabled it to use furin and other enzymes in the body to dissolve its viral coating so that it can permeate, permeate, permeate and infect human cells, and reproduce within the cell. This virus was somehow optimized to infect humans from the first time a droplet drifted into someone's nose. Since SARS-CoV-2 appeared in 2019, it was already pre-adapted to human transmission to an, excellent simil to an extent similar to late e epidemic SARS-CoV. However, no precursors or branches of evolution stemming from a less human-adapted COVID-2-like SARS virus have been detected. The COVID-2 spike protein bound more strongly with human ACE2 receptors than those of any other species. In other words, it was most likely created in a laboratory specifically to infect humans. Asked the question a lot on the show last week. Why would you do that? It did, however, I'm sorry, we'll never know the truth. The liabilities are too high and too much money involved, uh, several trillion dollars in liability involved in damages if they ever got to the bottom and decided to hold anybody accountable for all this. So I would not hold my breath waiting on that. Some not-so-funny stories about pandemics of the past. We already mentioned the Spanish flu of 1918, 50 million dead, 500 million infected worldwide. We lost 2.7% of the world's population. It could kill within 12 Hours. I laugh when COVID's compared to this. The Spanish flu went after 20 to 40 year olds. COVID impacted the elderly with comorbidities, usually three or four. 
uh, they impacted them the most, and even the mortality rates still weren't even close to the Spanish flu. Um, in 76, we had a swine flu scare. Over 230, 230 soldiers at Fort Dix. A vaccine was fast-tracked because they bought the Spanish flu scare up again. Uh, sound familiar? Kind of bought it up for this one too, didn't they? All Americans were told to get vaccinated. A contained illness. 230 soldiers at Fort Dix. Um, uh, resulted in 45 million vaccinated. Over the next few years, 4,000 Americans filed vaccine damage claims with the government. This thing was horrendous, totaling $3.2 billion. Side effects included hundreds of cases of Guillain-Barre syndrome. That's a rare side effect of flu vaccines. Healthy 20-year-olds became paraplegics. 300 deaths or more were attributed to this thing. What was the death toll from the plague upon the earth that got those 230 soldiers infected? One. One person. Uh, H5N1 bird scare, uh, bird flu scare, 2005. Predictions were that 2 million Americans would die. I think they said 2 million Americans would die during this pandemic, too. It was a big nothing burger. The press dubbed it the pandemic that never happened. It did, however, spur the WHO into action to create a fast-track process for licensing and the approval of pandemic vaccines. 2009, swine flu again, going to kill 90,000 Americans, going to hospitalize 2 million. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. What did the CDC recommend for the 2009 epidemic that never happened? Wait for it. Vaccinations for everyone. As soon as a vaccine is available, try to get it for everyone in your family. H1N1 was moderate at best. Most cases didn't require hospitalization or even a trip to the doctor. According to the New England Journal of Medicine, there was evidence that the H1N1 flu was a result of lab engineering and an accidental release as well. So... I kept asking you, why would you do that all throughout the last episode? I asked it again just a few seconds ago. I'll ask it again one more time. Why would you do these things? Well, a better question is to ask yourself who benefits from this. Big Pharma, the World Economic Forum, Big Tech, and those seeking to move us all into the new world order. Fauci in 2018 told us that the Trump presidency would face a pandemic. We talked about it last week, and we also talked about the fact that he was funding studies on the very bug that caused the pandemic that Trump faced. I've been saying these things for 18 months. The truth about COVID-19 actually says that we are quite possibly looking at the greatest criminal act or act of criminal negligence and cover up in modern times. Seriously. If suspects act like like they're guilty by concealing or destroying evidence, silencing dissent, intimidating witnesses or critics, and changing their story all the time, they're either guilty or they're covering for somebody who is. If someone benefits economically or politically or increases their power base and control from a crime or disaster or covering up for the crime or disaster, well, let's just say they'd have somewhat of a credibility issue. If a wealthy someone or group of wealthy someones, Gates, the who, uncannily predicts in great detail that a a pandemic like COVID-19 is about to emerge like they did in event 201, and then it happens within months, we should start paying attention to those folks, especially when they begin to manipulate the crisis to their advantage by censorship and manipulation while they shove this great reset down all of our throats and they implement the new world order they want. Now, I'd intended to move to thoughts about Kennedy's book here, but after reading the last two chapters of The Truth About COVID-19, I felt I had to share the data with you. So please bear with me. Excuse me. 
evidence is starting to surface that the pandemic was not accidental. Simultations were performed, uh, simulations, I'm sorry, were performed just 10 weeks, 10 weeks before the outbreak played out in real life. The plans being rolled out by the technocratic elite weren't just dreamed up. They've been around for a long time. These elite, however, jumped on COVID as a means to put their plan into action. Well, who are the global elite? Well, look around at private global organizations that play a leading role in shaping our global economies and social environmental movements. Well, you think you can spot some of them now? Well, Key, key players are all members of the Trilateral Commission. It's been around for a long time. Henry Kissinger, Michael Bloomberg, Eric Schmidt, and Susan Molinari from Google are all members. You want to look at some other groups, try the Club of Rome, the Aspen Institute, the Atlantic Institute, or the Brookings Institution, or several other think tanks. Of course, the WHO, the World Economic Forum, that's the group that hosts the annual Billionaires Convention in Davos, Switzerland. Um, well, they, you know, they're pushing the technocratic plan as well. Did you know? The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation became the largest funder of the WHO in April of 2020. That was right after Trump cut funding to the WHO because, well, he didn't like what they were doing at the time because they were covering for China. And, well, he didn't believe them. I guess he was right. So he cut funding to the WHO. At that time, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation became the largest contributor to the World Health Organization. Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, is also a top funder for the WHO. Their goal is to solve global health problems through vaccines. Gavi is a top initiative in the World Economic Forum. Are you starting to figure out why we're on booster number four? The World Economic Forum is a conglomeration of the world's most powerful businesses, Microsoft, MasterCard, Google, the Rockefeller Foundation, the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, the Ford Foundation, Bloomberg Philanthropies, and George Soros' Open Society Foundation. You'll find the same group over at the WHO. They all claim to be working for a more equitable society and a healthier planet, and in reality, they are centralizing profit and they are centralizing power. They use attractive euphemisms, to promote technocracy. You might have heard some of them. Sustainable development, Agenda 21, the 2030 Agenda, the new urban agenda, green economy, the Green New Deal, and the entire global warming movement. The Great Reset, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, and Build Back Better. The common goal of all of these things is to capture all of the world's resources and ownership of them for a small global elite that has the know-how to program the computer systems that will ultimately dictate the lives of us all. It's totalitarianism on steroids. When they talk about wealth distribution, they are talking about redistribution from us to them, not some equitable distribution of wealth and resources on the planet. That's not what they're going for. It's not going to be some great reset like you think it's going to be back to some wonderful time. Um, no private property rights because they, or ultimately the state, will own everything, including energy resources. Make no mistake about it, you are an energy resource. The American workforce is the one energy resource they want. Don't believe that? Check out Microsoft International Patent Number WO slash 2020 slash 060606. It describes a cryptocurrency system using body activity data. People will be carrying out tasks automatically handed out by some computer or your cell phone with an app in return for some cryptocurrency award. Sounds like a lovely world, doesn't it? Almost everything Bill Gates does furthers the technocratic agenda. 
He's one of the most dangerous philanthropists in modern history. He's dumped billions into global health initiatives that stand on very shaky moral and scientific ground, COVID-19 being one of those. All of Gates' answers to the problems we are facing are consistently focused on building corporate profits through highly toxic methods, chemical ag, GMOs, drugs, or his favorite, along with Fauci's, vaccines. Vaccines and surveillance technology are, are his go-to answers, and these are in the very industries that he's heavily invested in. Gates has described his charity as catalytic philanthropy, where he utilizes the tools of capitalism to benefit the poor. It's a money laundering scheme, and I'll tell you about it in just a second. The problem with this scheme is the poor never seem to benefit. The benefactors are almost always people who are already rich, his buddies. The poor end up with costly solutions. Most of them can't afford it, and, or they're GMO seeds or vaccines that are all bad for them. Let's look at catalytic philanthropy, shall we? Gates donates to private for-profit companies also. According to The Nation, Gates has given close to $250 million in charity to companies where the foundation holds corporate stocks and bonds. Gates is giving money to his own company. Well, don't we get tax breaks when we donate? I thought you just got it when you donated to charity, but maybe not Bill Gates and his buddies. They just list something as a charity and maybe they get a tax break. Anyway, when you take the tax breaks into the game here, this is the perfect money laundering scheme that allows for him to evade taxes while maximizing his revenue generation. Virtually every aspect of the pandemic involves organizations and individuals funded by Bill Gates. One of these, the Imperial College in London, re relied on by governments around the world while they predicted a death toll of 500000 in the U.K. and $2 million in the U.S., mentioned it earlier, initiating the most draconian measures in response to a pandemic in modern history. Exactly the kind of misinformation Gates needs to push his agenda. He's a longtime supporter and defender of the drug industry. Since the beginning of the pandemic, Gates was leading the charge saying that nothing would go back to normal until or unless the entire global population gets vaccinated and countries implement tracking and tracing technologies and vaccine passports. At the very same time, he's pouring money into digital ID product projects and cashless society plans that, of course, his companies will manage and benefit greatly from. Gates also funds media and journalism. NPR is only one. All of his lackeys at these outlets routinely publish news favorable to Gates and his projects. He's given over $250 million to NBC, BBC, Al Jazeera, the National Journal, The Guardian, and the Texas Tribune, just to name a few. These donations do not come without strings. He's purchasing stealth self-promotion. Pretty much unadvertised, un undisclosed advertisement for Gates' agenda. Now, Let's look at event 201. We talked about it earlier, and we're going to get into it a little bit here. This pandemic preparedness simulation hosted by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, along with Johns Hopkins, as well as the World Economic Forum, was held in October of 2019, just about the same time that SARS-CoV-2 was released um, from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The scripted tabletop included everything that we have watched over the last 22 months or so. PPE shortages, lockdowns, censorship, removal of civil liberties to mandated vaccination campaigns, riots, economic turmoil, the breakdown of social cohesion. They discussed the fact that misinformation would need to be countered, including rumors that the virus had been created and released from a bioweapons lab and safety surrounding vaccines. 
They discussed the fact that misinformation would need to be countered to include rumors that the virus had been created and released from a bioweapons lab and safety surrounding vaccines this in October of 2019. Wow. Um, they spent a ton of time discussing ways to counter disinformation. Their plan, well, in addition to outright censorship, they'd use soft power. Uh, it's a term referring to stealth influencing. They'd use celebrities and influencers to model ideal behavior for the rest of us and promote adherence to pandemic response measures. Well, do you remember when Tom Hanks and, and um, Rita Wilson uh, dutifully modeled the prescribed behavior on uh, every day for us after they were both tested positive. You remember all that? That is soft power. Or at least it's an example of it. The UN also enlisted 10,000 digital volunteers to rid the internet of false information and disseminate UN verified science-based content. Basically, an army of Internet trolls censoring any opinions that run counter to the narrative or the status quo. Using the pandemic, uh, politicians will use a crisis, a threat, or a pandemic to justify the need for war or eroding civil liberties. The Patriot Act is one example. It changed 15 existing laws. It allowed TSA to legally record anyone's phone calls, all under the guise of protecting freedom, when it was far from doing that. (coughs) Excuse me. It was one of the biggest steps toward uh, losing civil liberties ever in the U.S. It was rushed through Congress with the objection of Pat Leahy and Tom Daschle. Both were senators at the time. Well, guess what? Tom Daschle and Pat Leahy were the two senators that had letters with weapons-grade anthrax mailed to them at their offices after they disagreed with the Patriot Act. The Patriot Act, as I said, was the first step in taking away our personal freedoms and laying down the surveillance foundation for a police state. It normalized invasive surveillance and the removal of privacy rights. Now, the pandemic is the catalyst for sweeping social control. With both of these things, the Patriot Act, the pandemic, you are now primed for the Great Reset. We're being tracked, traced all day, all night, right now. The infected or unvaccinated are the new enemy, and they Gates and the machine have convinced most of the population of this in a matter of months. It's staggering. In 2017, Gavi Vaccine Alliance decided to provide every child with a digital biometric identity that would store his or her vaccine records. In 2019, Gates worked with MIT to develop a novel vaccine delivery system using fluoroscopic microdot tags that can be read with a smartphone. An invisible tattoo, they called it. A brand, a mark, whatever. It's all going to be interconnected in a matter of years. The rapid development and implementation of biometric identification programs tied in with digital currencies to connect everything together, your ID, your finances, your medical records, and your vaccine passports. I'm sure, that I'm as sure as the authors of this book, that it'll be embedded in your body just for convenience so you don't lose it. Investigative journalist James Corbett says the different different parts of this population control grid fit together like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. The vaccination drives uh, ties into biometric identity. That ties into the cashless society drive. In Gates's vision, everyone will receive the government-mandated vaccinations, and everyone will have their biometric details recorded in nationally administered, globally integrated digital IDs. These digital identities will be tied to all of our actions and transactions, 
And if and when any of these actions or transactions are deemed illegal, they'll just be shut off by the government or by the payment providers themselves. Only the willfully most obtuse people, only the most willfully obtuse people could claim to be unable to see the nightmarish implications for this type of all-seeing, all-pervasive society where every transaction, every movement of every citizen is monitored, analyzed, and databased in real time by the government. And Bill Gates is one of those willfully obtuse people. This Gates-driven agenda is not about money. It is about control. Control over every aspect of our daily lives, from where we go, to who we meet, to what we buy, and what we do. Gates has called for a national tracking system similar to South Korea. When asked a question on a Reddit interview, Gates responded, Eventually, we will have some digital certificates to show who has recovered or been tested recently, or when we have a vaccine, who has received it? <coughs> Digital certificates, invisible brands, like they do with cattle. Do you get it yet? Copper top. The Great Reset, while introduced in 2020, has been in the works for a long time. It's about money, power, and control. It's the largest upward transfer of wealth. And what you saw, what we talked about on the last show, is just the beginning. Uh, uh, They'd have probably done it already, but Trump slowed them down. They like to use wars to promote these types of agendas, and Trump's peace efforts put a damper on that strategy. That's according to the book. Kind of funny, though, Russia has over 120,000 troops on the border of the Ukraine right now, and Biden is no match for Putin. So they just might get their war yet. In the Great Reset, the World Economic Forum points out, you will not own anything. And when you don't own anything, your willingness to follow the rules will determine how many provisions you get. According to the World Economic Forum, the Great Reset will address the need for a more fair, sustainable, and resilient future and a new social contract centered on human dignity, social justice, and where societal progress does not fall behind economic development. Imagine that. It sounds like a perfect little utopia. Well, of course it does. It's just a fresh coat of lipstick on an old pig known as the New World Order. The Great Reset is globalization turbocharged, but it's not a plan to reset the world back to some earlier state that will allow us all to start over with a cleaner environment and a more equitable social structure. The plan is to circumvent democracy and shift global governance into the hands of the few. Klaus Schwab, author of COVID-19, The Great Reset, said, for the most part, business as usual died or at least was infected by COVID-19. Do you think Build Back Better originated with the Joe Biden campaign? Well, you'd be wrong. This slogan is also part of the Great Reset. It was introduced in a UN press release as the world, here's what the UN said, as the world begins planning for post-recovery, the United Nations is calling on governments to seize the opportunity to build back better by creating more sustainable, resilient, and inclusive societies. Sounds kind of like what I was reading before, the utopia. The current crisis is an unprecedented wake-up call. We need to turn the recovery into a real opportunity to do things right for the future. The phrase has been widely adopted in Great Britain, New Zealand, Canada, around the globe. It's anti-privacy and pro-technology. Its goal is to decimate privacy and property rights, and it's to shift the financial system over to a central bank digital currency system, which in turn is part of the system of social control. Once they control your money, they control you. 
Most countries will implement CBDC within the next two to four years. Uh, these things are nothing like crypto. Bitcoin is decentralized. It's a rational strategy to opt out of the existing central bank-controlled systems. CBDCs will be quite the opposite. They'll be centralized, but they'll be completely controlled by the central banks, and they'll have smart contracts that allow the banks to surveil and control your life. You want to talk about tools to manipulate people? That's a huge one. There's an entire school of public health on tools to manipulate people, and it's dedicated to identifying the most effective ways to frighten people into accepting desired public health measures. By adding confusion and uncertainty to the mix, you can move from fear to anxiety, a state of confusion which you can no longer think logically, and in this state, you are easily manipulated. Another term for that is called gaslighting, and this country is being gaslighted on a massive scale. Fear is only one, science is another. Anytime someone dissents, you've heard it throughout this pandemic. Anytime someone dissents, they are accused of being anti-science, and any science that conflicts with the narrative is declared debunked science. The only science that matters is the science that techno the technocracy deems is true. We cannot allow this to continue. We must insist on medical freedom personal liberty, and the right to privacy and private property. This includes the right to not take a vaccine if you don't want it. If we don't end this now, there will be no end to the medical tyranny that will follow. <clears throat> As we come to the closing of the show, um, last show we talked about freedom. We talked about a quote from the character uh, uh, on 1883, Elsa Dutton. Uh, her version of freedom was riding free in an untamed land where nothing existed outside of the moment that she was in at that time. Um, she also mentioned something about independence, which is a little bit different from freedom. Independence, you're in control, but you're not truly free because uh, you have things to do. Um, I asked what freedom was like today as opposed to 1883. Um, my answer is probably similar to what Elsa Dutton found out later in that episode. Freedom is somewhat of a myth. Well, it's not, it's not a myth. Um, it's, it's just very difficult to achieve. Uh, we have responsibilities. Even in a free society, we have responsibility. That's the reason why it's very difficult to achieve. We have outside intrusion, uh, forces beyond our control. Um, they can shatter your freedom. Her freedom was shattered when her boyfriend got shot defending the camp from bandits. Your freedom has been shattered by a bug. Um, it's it was manufactured by humans and released probably accidentally by humans who warned you of the bugs impending release. So your freedom was shattered by a bug. These same people are picking up the pieces of your shattered freedom. They're locking them in a box to create the world they want for you. Um, don't let it happen. Stand up for yourself and you need to stand up for your neighbor too. Um, just because you got vaccinated doesn't mean you can't say something about his right to not get vaccinated. Stand up for your neighbors too. Evil prospers when the good do nothing or say nothing. After your freedom goes, your independence is going to go right behind that. That's it for this episode of The Storm. 
I hope you enjoyed the podcast because I certainly enjoy the process of, uh, of putting them together and getting them out there into your lives. Um, be sure to follow the channel on rumble, check us out, follow us on Spotify too. give us a like or a rumble, drop us a comment and tell your friends to steer into the storm with all that I just laid out about the level of censorship and control the technocrats already have. I need all the help I can get to increase the intensity of the storm from a tropical depression to a hurricane. I hope you'll help me out. Uh, until then, remember master stupid, the final variant is communism. Epstein did not kill himself. Critical race theory and white privilege are racism. And there's only two genders. Have a great week. Stay vigilant. And we'll see you next time in the storm.